Dion. How you doing, my friend? Great. How are you? Pastor Steve Solomon calls these chairs the honey I shrunk the kids chairs. <laughs> I love them. I do think that we'd get more people coming from the online uh, viewership here on site if we had nothing but these chairs. What do you think? Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. These are mine. They don't rock, though, so I'll have to, I'll have to do, do that. I'm not going to do that. No, don't do that. Uh, hey, Dion. I'm stay safe. We've seen you everywhere. You are everywhere. You are a theology teacher at Rancho Christian and love how you're pouring into our kids. Uh, you are a worship leader here. You've led traditions worship, united worship. Uh, you are master's degree in divinity, master's degree in music. You're a studio musician. I mean, it's incredible what you, what you do. So we are so happy to have you here yes, as our uh, justice pastor as well, just kind of speaking into matters of justice, moving that forward. So we're gonna have a little conversation together. And we do this to start um, our content uh, in the scripture, because we want to hear from different voices. We want to really enjoy a community together of talking through God's word and see how it hits. Last week, we talked about the baptism, right? Jesus coming out of that water and this voice from heaven, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you just think, I'm going to turn that page and Jesus is going to do this meteoric rise to the top, right? The son of God baptized to his mission. That ain't what happened. It's not. What happened? <laughs> so Jesus went and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he was fasting, or, or right after he fasted, then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mm. And so it, what it really did is it set up right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, when he was at a place where he was starving from not eating, he was weak physically in the flesh, he was strong spiritually, but weak physically and at a place where he didn't have anything or any resources. God then thought it would be appropriate to lead him to be tempted by the devil. Right. And so right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, there began a war between heaven and hell. And all of a sudden it breaks out. And the son of God, while he's suffering and alone, is led there to that place of war. Now, this goes the absolute, op absolute opposite direction that you think it should. As you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading through the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do over the summer is go through the life of Jesus chronologically from beginning to end. You read his baptism. This is his breakout moment, right? He's led to the wilderness to starve for 40 days yes. without food for 40 days. Um, the longest I've fasted is three days, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Three days. I, I actually made it to 21 days you're, with no food, just water. Yeah, that's you're better. Than me. I was hangry. I was hangry. I wanted to. I wanted to be violent. I, I, you know, the only person I was, I was, I was really listening to at that time was the Holy Spirit as He spoke to me yeah. and corrected all of the hangriness and the violence that I wanted to display on everybody, even driving. Like I was like, I'm fasting and people are just pulling over in front of me. I'm weak. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't just stop on my brakes. You know, I, it, it was, it was a struggle. So, so for Jesus to actually be led into, into a, a spiritual war at that time, yeah. like I'm like, my God. So like, uh, the, the science of this yeah. is between 42 and 70 days of going without food, your body has so eaten itself and eaten its own organs that you pass away from heart failure. On the 40th day, Jesus meets the devil himself. Now, there's a lot of opinions about the devil, uh, Satan, which uh, the scripture calls Satan. And, and there's a lot of, lot of opinions about that. And uh, one opinion is that it's a true spiritual being 
that does you know, prowl and look for destruction. Other more scholars say it's sort of a, a metaphor of all the evil of the world, right? But regardless of your particular uh, opinion on that, uh, the reality is that Jesus was having an invisible, spiritual, mental, social, emotional torment, 40 days of fasting. And after that, he goes and tells his disciples, because nobody was with him here, right? So it wasn't like his biographer was following him around. He was by himself for 40 days, suffering for 40 days without food, his body literally eating itself away. And that's when he has this encounter with the enemy, the evil one, Satan himself. And what's fascinating about this is it's exactly the opposite of what you would think it would be. Absolutely. What happens between the enemy and Jesus is the polar opposite of what you think would happen. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, our definition of spiritual warfare for the most part is us seeing like this, if, if, if we can just imagine like the movies that are out today, right. it would be with Jesus standing over the devil with the sword in his hand and angels standing all around them and a big voice out of the screen is like, this is Jesus, the creator of, you know, yeah. and the victor over the devil. And, and we all have this like imagery of like, oh my God, and this is going to be so great. And he's going to be so grand. And he's going to be standing over the devil. Yeah. He's going to be at the top. He's going to be at the top. Right. And that's not what happened. Right. It's, it's exactly the opposite of what happened. Right. And so when, when we were coming into this, I, I wrote down a couple of notes and I just want to share at the time that Jesus was at his lowest, the devil offered him everything, right, that the world sees as being a winner. Yeah. So he offered him provision. Mm -hmm. He offered him glory. And he offered him power. And at that same time, people are, are thinking that, okay, the kingdom of darkness, when you make it, you're this, right? And so they're trying to equate that into the kingdom of God as well. And so people are like, well, let's look around. Let's see who's, who's made it, who has provision, who has all this. And, and they, these are the victors. They're on top. Mm -hmm. But you know what? When it came to Jesus, he accepted starvation by saying no to bread. Mm -hmm. When it came to Jesus, he accepted the shame by saying no to the glory. When it came to Jesus, he accepted his weakness and the weakness that his physical body was in by saying no to the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah. Jesus reimagined the priorities of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And I think it's time that the church starts to reimagine the, 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 the priorities of the kingdom of heaven. So let's put it this way. Jesus was reimagining the priorities of the kingdom of heaven, not battling to be served at the top, but content to serve at the bottom. Absolutely. And this is the odd thing, right? You have Jesus declared the son of God at his baptism. You think it's gonna be a meteor, meteoric rise and the enemy offers him provision, offers him uh, uh, prominence, offers him power. And you think, well, yeah, that's what the son of God should be. The son of God should be at the top. This is the weird thing about it. It's almost as though the enemy was offering Jesus success hmm. yeah, exactly. by every definition of the, uh, of the world. You've got a lot of stuff, you've got a lot of glory, and you've got a lot of power. And Jesus said, nope, nope, nope. I'm not here for possessions. I'm not here for glory. I'm not here for power. He denied it all. So read what actually happened here out of Matthew chapter 4. Yeah, I will be happy to. So in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things will I give to you if you fall down and worship me. But here's what happened with Jesus, right? I just want to talk to you guys about breaking the stereotype of temptation, right? Because in our mindsets, the spirit, here, here's what actually happened. The Spirit of God actually led Jesus to be tempted. So, so normally when we think about temptation, right. we think of kind of the shadowy figure right. lurking, Absolutely. waiting for an opportunity for us to be weak and striking. Right. But God led Jesus. There was no lurking. To this temptation. Yes, there was no lurking. Right. This was a divine appointment set up by God himself. He actually wanted Jesus to be tempted. Wow. And then here, Jesus came to the devil, right? The devil didn't come to him. Hmm. And you have some thoughts about that. I actually do. Right? I don't think the devil wanted to be there. Wow. <laughs> and that's, that's a concept yeah. that you know. You, it's, it's mine. It's an opinion. Right. I could be wrong. I usually am about 95% of the time, right? <laughs> you stand before Jesus. He's like, you got that wrong. 95. You thought you, and the church is going to go, yeah, we knew it. I don't think he wanted to be here. If, if God is taking his son to meet the devil in the wilderness, do you think the devil's like, oh, I'm super excited about this? Yeah. I don't think so. I think... This was a divine appointment, as you said earlier, where God brought Jesus to the devil specifically to open a can of whoop on, <laughs> on him. I, I don't think he wanted anywhere near it. I think he was there specifically to be defeated. Let me just say this too. Yeah. The devil actually couldn't do anything without God's permission and without Jesus' cooperation and his permission to actually be used, right? So let me, let me break it down like this. He came to him and was like, why don't you go ahead and turn that into the bread? So Jesus, uh, the devil didn't make the bread. That's right. The devil didn't make a sandwich and say, here, Jesus, eat the sandwich. Exactly. He can't even make a sandwich. Right? Then, <laughs> then he took him to Jerusalem, the city, and then he was like, hey, you know, um, let me make yeah. sure I'm, I'm giving. Oh, so he looked at the temple. And he said, throw yourself down. Yeah. Right? For it is written, the angels, and, 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 I, think, and I think this is a very... A good thing that we also have to look at is that the devil knows the scriptures as well. Right, right, right. Right? But then if you look at what Jesus did, Jesus actually used the scriptures in the proper context right. to battle the devil. So the devil said, okay, drop yourself off this temple. Right. I'm not going to rescue you, right. but the angels will. So I think the devil is largely powerless. Yes. Whether you think of the devil as, a, as, a, as an actual creature, spiritual creature, or you think of the devil in terms of the broader concept of evil... There's no power there. There is no thing to darkness. Light is a thing. Darkness is, is, is a void. And so what we see here is, is, is the devil himself has no power other than what you said earlier that we give him. And Jesus didn't give him any 
power at all. He said no to the temptation to provision, no to the temptation for glory, and no to the temptation for power because he wasn't here to get to the top. Right. And I think, and I think that's, what, that's what was confusing giving to the Israelites during that day. They were like, it was prophesied that you would come here and that you would deliver us and set us free and all of these things. But as we've been talking, as we've been looking, Jesus just did not see things the way that they saw it. Yeah. And he said, let the greatest among us be servants. Right. So that's how he did it. He came and he was aggressive in healing, aggressive in love, aggressive in mercy, aggressive in justice. And that is the mindset that the church should have. That's the spiritual warfare that the church should have. Like Evan was saying earlier, when, 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 when uh, Peter cut off that man's ear because he was grabbing his savior, and I understood because I would have reacted that same way. That's my heart. Yeah. Like, I'm, I would be violent for the people that I love. I, I would be like, yeah, I would do that too. I understood what Peter yeah. did. But Jesus was like, no, like, come on, man. He picked it, his ear off the ground and restored him at that moment. That is the mind of Christ. That is spiritual warfare right there. The restoration, even when you don't deserve it. Yeah. That is so powerful, and I don't want that lost on us because that is the key, right? Every human instinct that we have to, to step up, right. Jesus stood down. Every human instinct, get me up front, Jesus went to the back. Absolutely. Every human instinct that says me first, Jesus put others first. And that is so hard, but we ought to be following Jesus, right? And that is, a, that is the spiritual warfare, a quest to the bottom. Dion, thank you very much, man. Really, really good stuff, my friend. You know, when we are going through that fire, the way Jesus did, Jesus went through suffering. Jesus went through temptation. The goodness of God surrounded him that allowed him to be strong in the suffering, allowed him to be strong in the temptation. And so what we're going to do in our time remaining together is we're going to go through this temptation through the lens of what we experience in life. We talked about what Jesus experienced, but what do we experience and how do these truths of what Jesus said and what Jesus did allow us to, to walk with the goodness of God towards the victory in our own lives? What I want to do is show you Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus' temptation and Jesus' suffering is linked with our suffering and our experience in Hebrews 4. And check this out. This high priest, who is Jesus, the mediator between humankind and God, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. We talked about the weaknesses of Jesus when he was walking through that 40 days of starvation, when he was by himself. He knows what it's like for us to suffer. He knows what it's like for us to be alone. He empathizes. He understands. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And whenever the scripture talks about testing, whether it's here in Hebrews chapter four or in James, it's referring to both suffering and temptation. Because typically temptation hits us. The temptation, the draw to do what's wrong, the, 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 the allure to do what we know is wrong, it usually comes in moments of weakness. Jesus understands that. He walked through moments of weakness. He walked through suffering. He walked through loneliness. He walked through temptation. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love this. If you're walking through a time of suffering, you can pray boldly to God. You can know his presence and his goodness that surrounds us even when we're suffering. And I would say, especially when we're suffering. Jesus knows what it's like. So when we're praying, we're not just praying to some distant God way out there that has no clue what we're going through. This is the beauty of, of Jesus himself, incarnate in human flesh, walking a human experience. 
I mean, right out of the gate, he's baptized in this booming voice. This is my beloved son. And God says, you're walking the road of suffering because you're walking the road of every single one of us. You're walking the road of every single human who has ever lived. A road of some suffering at times and loneliness at times and temptation at times. Jesus understands that. So if you're walking through a difficult time, when you pray, know that you are going through a throne of grace. You're not going to a throne of judgment or condemnation or God's disappointed with you or doesn't get it or just do better. When you're praying to God and pouring out your heart, a heart that is suffering, a heart that is struggling, just understand in your own spiritual battle, understand that God looks at you and says, I know. My son walked that same journey. He felt those same feelings. Same thing if you're walking through a journey of temptation, if you're getting pulled to do something you know is wrong, you're getting pulled into a relationship you know is wrong, away from your marriage vows, or, or you are just falling into this, this kind of cycle of anger and bitterness and rage, and you're saying terrible things to your kids, or you're thinking terrible thoughts about people, you're kind of getting sucked into temptation. When you pray, and you're praying for strength, Know that God understands exactly that pull to do things that aren't right. That's the whole point of the temptation of Jesus. He was pulled to do things that weren't right. He knows, he understands. He never failed, but we do. And even when we fail, we can come to God knowing his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness is on us unconditionally. He loves us, forgives us. He says, you're my perfect son and perfect daughter. I know you failed. That's why I gave it all for you to know how much I love you, even in your failures. And God himself understands that draw to do things that are terrible. This is why the, the temptation of Jesus is, is really our journey as well, through life's sufferings and through life's temptations. So let's talk about these three temptations. What was Jesus establishing in those three temptations for us? First, Jesus was reimagining a world free from the love of possessions. Free from the love of possession. So Jesus here is starving to death. His body is eating its own organs. He is days away from his heart collapsing. And the enemy comes alongside of him and says, easy peasy, Jesus. You're the fullness of God. Just turn that stone into bread. I love what Dion said. Satan can't do that kind of stuff. But he knows Jesus could. Just turn that stone to bread and eat. Would it have been a sin for Jesus to eat a sandwich <laughs> after 40 days of starving wouldn't be. A, the first temptation wasn't even to sin. The first temptation was for there to be a priority change where Jesus knows he had to be there to suffer as we suffer, to prepare him to bear the sufferings of the whole world eventually on the cross. So Jesus just knew his mission was a mission of suffering, a mission at the bottom, kind of reimagining the priorities of heaven at the bottom. It wasn't even a sin to eat a sandwich. But Jesus says, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for provision. I'm not here for possessions. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, no. The scripture says people don't live by bread alone. There's nothing wrong with bread. There's no sinning with bread. So you go out to lunch today, have a sandwich, you're fine. There's no sin in bread. We don't live by bread alone. That's where the problem comes. If we're only clinging on to possessions, but aren't living in the values of the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus says, the word of God, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where true life is found. Not just in the bread we eat, not just in the possessions around us, but following the word of God. Now, Jesus says there's no problem with possessions. In fact, I've said quite often here, right? All through the scriptures, there's no problem with having things. I love Psalm 128 too. 
You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. There's never a problem having things. There's never a problem working hard, getting money, buying things with that money, and enjoying those things. Not a problem at all. It's how we hold those things. I have a set of keys here, right? This set of keys is in some respects a symbol of all I am. <laughs> it's very sad. There's only a few keys. But uh, let's see, this key right here uh, can open, I think, every door on this campus. That may not be true. Probably locked out of a few spots. But this key is a symbol of maybe some authority that I have on this site, right? It's a symbol of my vocation. This key gets me places, right? And it's part of what I have. Then uh, here's my, my house key. This gets me into my house. It's a symbol of what I have. It's a possession, right? I've worked hard, made a few bucks, got a house. Uh, this is not only a convenient weapon when needed, so don't mess with me, but it's the key that starts my truck, right? So these keys represent a lot of what I have, my possessions. And Jesus says there's no problem with possessions. Man doesn't live by bread alone, and bread is the broader symbol of all of the stuff of life, right? It's how we hold our stuff. And I'm telling you, one of the American values in particular is that we hold our stuff tightly. My stuff, my possessions, part of the American way, and, and I don't fault this, and there's some parts that are great, is you can make your own way, you can do anything you want to, you can be successful, you can make a lot of money and buy a lot of stuff. There's no problem with that, but don't cling tightly to it. That's all, that's all that God asks. Don't let it define you. What we own doesn't define us. Don't clench tightly to our possessions, but just open your hand. That's all God asks. Just open your hand. And if we're not cling, clinging tightly to what we have, now we're healthy. Now our minds are healthy, our hearts are healthy, our spirit is healthy, because we're not like more, more, more for me, for me, for me. Gotta keep getting more and bigger and better everything. And I'm gonna leverage my whole life to get one more thing. No, open it up. Sometimes we get stuff, sometimes we lose stuff. Just think, you know, GameStop, AMC, Bitcoin. Sometimes we have, sometimes we don't. It comes and it goes, right? Sometimes we have seasons of prosperity. Great, good job, good money. Sometimes we don't. Lose our job, circumstances happen. We get it, we don't get it. It's given, it's taken. If we hold our stuff with an open hand, which is all God asks, we're in a really healthy spot. When we say, no, my stuff defines me and I need more and bigger and better, now we're kind of a mess because our heart's not aligned with the heart of heaven. What Jesus did was reimagine the heart of heaven. He reimagined the priorities of the kingdom of heaven, which is we don't live by this stuff. We don't live for this stuff. We're not defined by our stuff. We hold it with an open hand. Cool, cool? That's temptation number one. Jesus reimagined a world free from materialism, free from materialism, living by the word of God. What is the word of God? You might think immediately, well, that's the Bible. We live by the Bible. And I would say, yes, that's a partial answer. But the Bible points us to who? Jesus is the word of God, the capital W word of God. John 1.14, so the word took on human flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So when we say we live by the word of God, it's saying we follow Jesus, the capital W word of God. The full expression of God himself is Jesus, full of love, full of faithfulness. And if I'm not clinging to my stuff, I can follow Jesus and the values of Jesus to be generous and to give and to love and to serve the world around me. But if I'm clinging on to my stuff, there's no room for that. That's temptation number one. 
Temptation number two, and we're going to get into some deep weeds today. Are you ready to go? Don't do that anymore. But we got to get ready. We got to get ready. This is going to get deep, right? Temptation number two. Jesus was reimagining a world free from the love of politics. Temptation number two. Jesus was reimagining a world free from the love of politics. Some of you, I guarantee you were like, I've been in church for 104 years. I've never heard the temptation of Jesus about politics. Well, here you go. I'm not going to take sides. I never take sides. We're not talking about left or right. We're talking about the concept of political life in Jerusalem, in Israel 2,000 years ago, and right here and right now. I promise this not, isn't going to hurt too much but we've got to understand what's happening here in the second temptation. I wanna be clear as well. I vote, I think voting is important. I vote in every single election. I vote my conscience. I vote what I think is kind of aligned with the kingdom of heaven. Not gonna tell you who I voted for, none of your business. Not even relevant. I love being an American, a free American with a free vote and a voice. I love it all. We're not talking left or right. We're talking about the general concept of how we hold political life. 2,000 years ago in Israel or right here, right now in America. Here's the temptation. You ready? Temptation number two. The devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you. Next verse. And to lift you up. Some might look at that and say, was, was the devil tempting Jesus to try to kill himself and then be rescued from that suicide attempt? <laughs> that is not at all what's happening here. That would be ludicrous. What's happening here is the devil takes Jesus to the capital city and puts him on top of the capital building. Do you understand what's happening here? Jesus is in the capital city on top of the capital building in front of everybody in power and says, basically, jump off and fly to the top. That's what's going to happen. Capital city, capital building, let the angels themselves lift you to the highest place in the capital city on the capital building. That's what's happening here. As Dean and I talked about earlier, it, it, it seems as though, well, doesn't, isn't that what Jesus would want? I mean, he's bringing in the kingdom of heaven to earth. Here's the earth that is broken and it is dark and needs to be fixed. Here's the very son of God, declare the son of God at his baptism, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Certainly, you know, priority number one is get in the places of power to the highest positions of power. Certainly that would be the best pathway for Jesus, the son of God. That's what the devil offers here. Political power, political power. Essentially, the devil tempted Jesus with this little offer. I could make you a political force. That's what the enemy offered Jesus. I can make you a political force. Now, just, just think about that. And evaluate Christianity today. Evaluate sort of the, the Christian value system today. It's a political food fight. Christianity in America today is a political food fight using the name of God, using the name of Christ to try to push forward a political agenda. And I'm talking about left and right. I'm not taking sides here. There's Christian left, there's Christian right. 
Both sides are using the name of God to get their people in power. It's a political food fight. It is exactly what the enemy promised Jesus. And Christianity today is saying, um, let's do that. Let's get our people to the places of the highest political authority to move forward the kingdom of heaven, to move forward my priorities, to move forward what I see in God's word. We have to have a political food fight. And it is ripping this country apart. Article after article, study after study, Christianity itself is in a civil war. It is a, that is not, that is not hyperbole. It's an, a metaphor, but it's not hyperbole. Christianity itself is in a civil war. There's the Christian left and the Christian right. And they are engaged in a political food fight, ripping each other apart. And what did Jesus say about the temptation? to rise to political power. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Don't test God with the allure of political power. Do you think God right now is going, I hope my guys win the next election? Do you, I mean, seriously, God is up there thinking, oh, that next election, that's when we'll get them. Please. It's crazy. But I will tell you, it is normal. It is just normal. It's all human history at all times. Every person, man and woman of faith, wants their political person in power because if my political person is in power, I will prosper. That's the whole motivation. It's from the very beginning of time. You go back to the earliest records of human history. We always want to move forward our agenda using the name of God for our benefit for our freedom, for our prosperity, for our success. Get my guy in there, my girl in there for the na in the name of God. Jesus doesn't play that game. That's what the devil offered. And Jesus says, no, thank you. And don't test me. Don't test me. I don't know of a stronger, more destructive lust than merging religion with political power. It is a lust that has ruined people, it has destroyed families and friendships, it has wrecked nations, no joke. And there's examples of what happens when we pursue that lust of merging our religion with political power. Uh, go to uh, medieval Europe. Christianity and the states, the European states, were one and the same, you couldn't tell the two apart. One and the same, the merging of political state and, religious, and religion. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. The dark ages, it is darkness when we merge religion with political power, it is darkness. That is exactly why the prince of darkness offered it to Jesus and Jesus said no. You wanna see how this plays out in other countries? Go to Iran, go to Saudi Arabia. That's religion mixed with the state, super fun. So let's not wish that. We gotta take our country back by you know, getting our politicians in there. Listen, Jesus didn't play that game. God is not particularly interested in who gets into the next you know, election so he can do his thing. God does his thing through a whole different kingdom, not of this world, not of this world. Don't test God. Third temptation and we're done. Jesus reimagined a world free from the love of power. This is where the devil kind of throws a Hail Mary. He says, hey, Jesus, um, you denied the sandwich. You denied the political power. I'm gonna offer you every governmental force on earth. 
The devil has no power to actually do that. He was just chucking a Hail Mary. All you have to do is worship me. The devil offered something he didn't have for something Jesus would never do. It was just kind of, hey, let's get this over with, I think. Let's just be done with this. The devil's getting a beat down with the near-starving Jesus. He is this little thing that's been defeated summarily by the Son of God. Let's just get this done with. And Jesus says, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And Jesus said, get away from me. Simple as that. Just get away. And he did. Jesus said no to the allure of possessions. He said no to the allure of politics. He's saying no to the allure of power. This was true at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's true at the end of Jesus' ministry. Keep in mind, at the very beginning, he is suffering in the wilderness, and he's suffering with temptation. At the very end of his ministry, he is suffering again, preparing for the cross, He's arrested unjustly, he's tried unjustly, he is tortured unjustly, and they want him dead. The religious leaders want him dead. The religious leaders are after political power, they're after selfish gain, and here comes Jesus talking about what? Mercy, justice, and love, and he is grabbing people away from the religious leaders by the thousands, and they want him dead. He's moving forward a kingdom of mercy, justice, and love, and they want a kingdom, a religious kingdom of political power. They want to get rid of him. The only way the Jews at the time could kill Jesus is through Pontius Pilate. Only Rome could give the death penalty. So they drag Jesus before Pontius Pilate. When he wakes up, Pilate calls for Jesus to be brought to him. Pilate asks a very simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? All Pilate wants to know is are you interested in power, military power? Are you thinking you're going to overthrow the Roman Government. That's all Pilate wants to know. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers clearly, clear as a bell. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Jesus says, if you think I'm here to raise up an army and dethrone you from your governorship or dethrone Caesar himself from leading the Roman Empire, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't do the political thing. I do not do the power thing. Jesus is just saying, I'm out of that. He, he never downplays it. He never says it's not important. He just says, I'm not here to establish that. I'm not here to establish a political kingdom. I'm not here to establish a power kingdom. I'm not here for my glory. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers to f- would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But again, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He makes it really clear twice. Pilate, who's no dummy, heard him both times. And Pilate says, then we're good. We're totally good. You and I, Good. I don't know if they fist bump, but they're good. Pilate says, there's no fault in this man. He's not here to establish a kingdom of politics. He's not here to establish a kingdom of power. He's free to go. Pilate knew he's the governor of the area. He knew Jesus was about mercy, justice, and love. That's no threat to any kind of earthly kingdom. Go continue. Do your justice. Do your mercy. Do your love. Go for it. Here's the problem. Cue the Darth Vader music. Religious leaders stepped in. Religious leaders shouted, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. They're coming after Pilate. We will dethrone you. We will attack you. If you let this Jesus man go, if you let this guy go who's establishing a kingdom of mercy, justice, and love, you unleash him on the streets that threaten our political slash religious power, we will come after you, Pilate. This is just happening in American life today. 
All of this fighting over politics with religion in there mixed up, and we are just attacking everybody about everything everywhere. It's just crazy. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. Religious leaders rejected the love of God, capital L, the love of God, Jesus Christ. They rejected the love of God for all in order to align themselves with political and military power to benefit themselves. That's just the way it always goes. And that's the way it's going today. Let me get specific. And again, I'm not picking sides. This is left and, and right problem. There is a Christian left, very well-organized Christian left, Christian political left. There is a very well-organized Christian political right. And they are fighting each other. That's where the civil war is happening. Christian political left versus Christian political right. The Christian political right is accusing the Christian political left of Marxism. The Christian political left is accusing the Christian political right of fascism. And off you go. All the online stuff, all of the sermons, all of the stuff, just fight, fight, fight. It's a political food fight using the name of God. And Jesus says, I don't do that. So Jesus, in his time, pulled in the zealots, the political right. He says, you're with me. Follow me. You good with follow me? Mercy, justice, and love. You good with that? You're politically on the right, but you're good with mercy, justice, and love. You want to do that? Yep, I'm in. Let's go. Essenes from the political left. You know, you're, you're very humanitarian, and I get that, but follow me, mercy, justice, and love. Can you do that together? Essenes and zealots from the extremes of the political parties. Jesus brought together 11 political parties to follow him in a whole new movement, not of this earth, not of politics, not of power, not of possessions and stuff, but of mercy, justice, and love. And says, together, can we walk that journey? But political, religious, left and right is interested in controlling possessions, controlling politics, and controlling power. Jesus says, I don't do that. It's an important part of society, no problem. But what I do is create a community of everyone, loving everyone, and doing the heart of God in this world. Loving everyone everywhere. Loving the left and loving the right. Loving the rich and the poor. Loving the saint and the sinner. Loving those who agree and those who disagree. Loving the friend and the foe. Loving those who love us and loving those who don't love us. Loving those who attack and malign and defame. We love everybody everywhere. From every political party, are you good with that? Then that's the Christian movement. That's what we do. You've heard of triangulation, right? Triangulation is this group is fighting this group, right? This group is fighting this group. In the American life, it's the left fighting the right. It's a political food fight, right? Triangulation usually is kind of being above that, not in the food fight. You're being above that, and you're, you're kind of establishing a new way of doing things that's above the fray. Jesus does not establish himself above the fray. He establishes himself below the fray. And he says, I'm not here for glory. I'm not here for possessions. I'm not here for power. I'm not here to battle for the top. That's what the devil wanted of Jesus, battle to the top. Because if the devil could get Jesus to battle for the top, that means he's not living out the heart of the kingdom of heaven to serve and to love and to forgive. So Jesus keeps himself where the kingdom of heaven belongs, at the bottom, serving the world around us. But I'm telling you right now, it is so heartbreaking. People who don't know about Jesus, they're looking at the church that bears his name, this Christian church, Christian church, little Jesus. That's what Christian means, little Jesus. People who are saying that they are Christians, and they are Christians, but they're behaving as though they're following the temptation of the evil one. I mean, it's just, oh, stop, please stop. No more. 
no more. Follow Jesus. Follow, vote your conscience. Live your life not clinging onto possessions, not clinging to political victory, not clinging to power, but follow Jesus at the bottom. Not a struggle for the top, but a contentment to serve everyone, everywhere. Let's pray. Our God and Father, these are difficult times that we are living in. As you well know, we're coming out of a, of a difficult pandemic, but what we're emerging in is a country that is continuing to tear each other apart over politics and using your name to do it. God, we've seen historically and we see now what it is like to pursue possessions, to pursue po politics and to pursue po power. It is unbecoming the name of Jesus Christ who three times said no I will not cling on to possessions. I will not seek political power or military power. I'm here to love, I'm here to serve, not battling for the top, but serving from the bottom. And God, we follow Jesus. That's our, that's our number one declaration. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus even in times of suffering. We follow Jesus in times of temptation, and we follow Jesus now. In the United States of America that needs so much healing Help us to be able to love like Jesus loved, loved everyone everywhere and brought a people together, a whole new community together from every corner of civilization to build a new movement of mercy, justice, and love. And if we do that, the world will know that truly you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In his name we pray, amen.